Welcome to Cancer with Craig, Managing Illness as a Project. My name is Kirk Faulkner, and I'm happy to welcome today the man himself, Mr. Craig Faulkner. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Awesome. And uh, this is our first episode, and I believe the title of it is The First Nine Months. That's right. For those of you that know me, may think that this is just a little bit strange for me to be talking about cancer with Craig. Nine months ago, I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which is cancer of the blood. We'll talk a little bit more about that. It's not a curable cancer, but it's a cancer that can be managed. And as I had to wrap my head around this new reality for me, I viewed entering this next journey in my life as a project. And one of the things that I want to try to accomplish in this uh, podcast, Kirk, is how wrapping my head around viewing cancer as a project or managing it as a project has really helped me, number one, come to grips with it, and number two, embrace it. I don't want to say have fun with it, but really share some life experiences, and hopefully other people will share life experiences with me that will be uplifting to all that listen and all that get involved. That's awesome. And I think it shows your skills as a content marketer, that you defined your purposes for the content right as we uh, were starting out with it. Always second question for a content marketer, uh, who's the audience for this? Okay, I think the audience is anybody, really. Anybody that is enjoying life and then hits some road bumps, what do you do? Whether it's a health issue, whether it's a relationship issue, whether it's a, a professional issue, launching a new business. What has helped me over the years is viewing these challenges that we have in life as projects and really having fun, enjoying the journey as you're learning how to manage a new situation, a new environment. That's great. And so I, I understand that we're going to start off today by kind of going over the last nine months of history. And then from here on out, you're going to be checking in in kind of an audio journal format or... That's right. Exactly. I want to start nine months ago. Nine months ago, uh, actually it was September 1, we sold uh, FMG Suite, Faulkner Media Group, to a, a, to a wonderful private equity group out of El Segundo, uh, California. It was a company that uh, the founders, myself leading the charge there, worked hard over the last five to six years to grow. We had this uh, great private equity firm knock on our door and they courted us for a year, year and a half, and Godfather 1, 2, and 3 are some of my favorite movies. Uh, they made us an offer we, we couldn't refuse. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so um, we decided as a senior management group to really to sell FMG Suite with an eye towards really being able to grow this with additional investment capital. That was September 1. Right. That was September 1. And the reason I go back nine months is you can imagine at age, I was age 63, I just turned 64, May 6th. This, this month. Happy birthday. Uh, thank you. Happy belated birthday to me. It's uh, Although you know that uh, the whole entire month of May is my birthday month. Birthday month. <laughs> and so this was the second company that, that we had sold. The first company was Emerald Publications. And so this was really fun to be able to grow this company twice as fast as Emerald and to be able to ex expand our expertise back in the financial services industry. And we really were excited during the month of September. Well, that was month, if I go back, that was nine months ago. So fast forward or slowly forward to month number eight. Do you yeah. remember what happened in month number eight? Well, yeah. So uh, we had sold uh, the, the company and, and then as a family, we decided to celebrate that we would uh, take a trip to Hawaii. And I, re I recall it was Maui. It yes. was Maui. Exactly. We we were just outside of Lahaina and we had rented this this beautiful house with, uh, there were there were three cottages and a main house, a beautiful pool. Uh, we had a great time. Uh, we all flew over. When I say all of us, um, I have five children. We've got, Marilyn and I have nine grandchildren. 
It's a big crew. It, it was a very, very big crew. Um, within the first four hours of arriving at the house, I tripped on the patio. I fell into a sunken seating area. And as you recall, Kirk, I just about broke my neck. But thank goodness I ended up just breaking my hand. It was pretty gruesome. The uh, The sunken patio went down. What, it had to be about three and a half uh-huh. feet. So when you think of the whole arc of your fall, it was like you went... Almost 270 degrees before you finally hit anything. Yeah, exactly. And I'd never, I'd never fallen so hard in my life. And for those of you that have had big falls, I was in my flip flops, was in my my swim trunks, a t-shirt, and I slipped on a pillow that was on the deck. I went flying forward with a plate full of food, free fell, hit my head, hit my uh, hand, and very quickly was taken to the hospital and to the ER room. We'll fast forward. They did a uh, an X-ray. They told me I'd broken my hand. And I was trying to decide whether or not to go home. We decided to stay, but I was really, I had a bad concussion and I was in bed for nearly pretty much that whole seven days we were there. Yeah, you looked like you had fought Mike Tyson. Like you, (laughs) you looked... Like you had fought the floor and the floor had definitely won. That's right. Of course, Marilyn, being the wonderful wife and grandma that she is, she had arranged a, a professional photographer to come out and get some beautiful family photographs. And here I have this black, black and blue uh, eye. I've got uh, 15 stitches in my eyebrow. My hand is bandaged up. As you recall, Kirk, I think the girls did a pretty good job making me up. Yeah, um, not too bad. And uh, and we, I think we ended up pulling off some halfway decent uh, family photos. Definitely memorable. Definitely memorable. Well, that was month number eight. Okay, so first you sell your company, you celebrate with the family, you have a horrible fall during the celebration. How does that lead us into doing this podcast now? Okay, well, month number seven, um, I'm waiting for my hand to heal, and I've got a good friend who's an orthopedic surgeon here in San Diego. I wanted him to take a look at my hand. This is month number seven, so this is September, October, November. Actually, he did an MRI on my hand in October, but it was about the first part of November that I got the results back. I came in, he reviewed the results with me on my hand, and as I was walking out, and he, he, he told me it was uh, the break wasn't really severe, and he said, now we don't need to operate, and I was just relieved. Well, as I was walking out, I just I, I told him that I pointed to my sternum and I said, you know, over the last year, I've just had some chest pain and, and, and pain in my ribs. And I've talked about it a little bit to the docs and, and we thought it was a, a disease called costochondritis, which is you know, kind of a strain or pulling of yeah. the uh, sternum and, and ribs. And and I said, but I, you know, I, I wonder, I wonder what you think about this. He goes, you know, why don't we just take an MRI? You know, it's funny about that, what you thought it was. I actually have a lot of vivid memories from that year of you kind of mentioning to me that you had this pain. Yeah. And I, I know a stretch for that thing where right. you get on a chair and you twist one way. And I remember telling you about that stretch like two or three times. I was like, right. why isn't he, why isn't this working <laughs> for him? Well, this was the same, this was the same, same type of pain that I had. You know, I used to surf a lot and you, we, you know, we, we went on some nice surf trips together. This was the same pain that I had when I hadn't been surfing. So, you know, and I'd been working out and, and, and doing some, you know, kind of aggressive physical stuff. And so that's what I thought it was. So anyway, Dr. Breed takes a, an MRI of my chest. This was a, kind of the latter part of October. And when the results came back, it wasn't more than probably six hours that went by when he got the results. And he called me up and said, Craig, you have tumors on the inside of your sternum. You have lesions and tumors on your ribs, and you have a lesions and tumors on your spine. And he said, I think you have cancer. And I thought, oh my gosh. So that takes us to... 
Well, uh, before okay, you move on, ahead. just uh, so you, you remember having that phone call, like what, what was what was your what was your kind of minutes after that phone call like? Well, it was a it, it just really was disbelief because I knew when he said that to me, I just it, it just rang true that something wasn't right and that. I could really read the concern in his voice. In fact, Jim, we talked in the uh, kind of mid-afternoon. He called me back that evening, yeah. and he called me back the next morning to see if I had gotten into, uh, had arranged an appointment with an oncologist. Yeah, when a doctor follows up with you, you know it's serious. Yeah, I knew it was serious. And, and so I really, really, at the very, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little speechless, because I go back, I play that tape back in my head, and it was one of those moments in life where you know you have a new reality. Right. And, and I knew, just in, in my gut, that, that my reality was going to change. So you get this call, and this is in sept- uh, November. This was in October. It's still in October. Yeah, and it wasn't. I wasn't able to get a to get a doctor appointment until the month of November, which would take us September, October, November. Now we're three months in into this journey, mm-hmm. and remember what had happened. September one sold the business. We go party and in Hawaii in October. In November, it was it was really it was really once all the results were in, it wasn't until the right after Thanksgiving that I got the definitive word that I had a rare blood disease called multiple myeloma. Mm-hmm. Now I'll tell you, and for those of you that are listening, here's a part of the journey that that I think is really that that I feel really compelled to share. Over the years, as I had been going to the doctor, we did we always did blood tests, and the doctors always said I was in good health. My cholesterol was a little high. There wasn't really, you know, I was never given any big red flag of of, of something to worry about. And you live a fairly clean lifestyle. Yeah, yeah I don't uh, not you know I don't smoke, I don't drink, I certainly don't judge, but that's the way I've chosen to live. I do enjoy some more carbs and more sugars than I should. But slight slight diet coke addiction. Yes, slight diet <laughs> coke addiction. Uh, that's an understatement. But here's the thing: I went on regular basis to the doctor. But I had this extended chest pain. And I replay that tape over and over again, thinking, well, is there anything I could have done different? And there really wasn't. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm, I'm really thankful that I had a good relationship with my physicians and that I had a good relationship with Dr. Breed, that I was able to get in based on some very strong recommendations from outstanding physicians at UCSD here in San Diego. He introduced me to the, the uh, director of uh, uh, bone marrow transplant, who is a specialist in, in treating multiple myeloma. Multiple myeloma is caused by having excess protein in your blood, and it is a very complicated, I will not try to go into a long explanation, it's a very complicated type of blood cancer, and as I mentioned earlier on, it can't be cured, they do not know what causes it, but they do know what happens, the, the, the my, myeloma cell mutates your white your white blood cells, your bone marrow produces your red blood cells, your white blood cells, and your platelets. Well, the mutant myeloma cell creates a, a deformity in the red cell. That in turn, inside from the bone marrow pushing out, will create a tumor or a lesion. And as that, as that lesion grows into a tumor, it then weakens the bone. And so there are a lot of negative impacts about multiple myeloma, but two of the biggest are a degradation of your either your rib cage, your spine, 
your hip or your shoulders where you have the most bone mass. Right. That's number one. And then number two, it can attack the kidney. My kidneys are in great working order, but it has attacked my bones. And so the way they definitively confirm that you have multiple myeloma, they can do blood tests, they can measure protein levels, they can they, they measure all the, they have a lot of different scientific ways to do it. But the way they confirm it is they take a bone marrow biopsy. Mm-hmm. And that's what I had done towards the end of November. Right. And that's where they take picture a real small corkscrew. They go <laughs> they go into the the back of uh, the, your lower back into your hip and your the first bone marrow biopsy I had done I was awake but they they deadened the area. They go in and you can feel them screwing into your How big is this corkscrew? Is it what? Like well, an inch, it, 2 it, inches? It, it's probably it, it's probably closer to 3 or 4 inches long. Wow. And like, uh and, and it's probably about the size of a fountain a fountain pen refill. So it's not real okay. big. Well, no, three to four inch corkscrew the size of a fountain pen going into your bone yeah, the, is... The, the refill to a fountain pen. So oh, the refill. Oh, yeah. gotcha. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So so they put that in and they they screw down and they go into the bone marrow. Now, believe it or not, none of that really hurts. You just It just is a very weird sensation. Yeah. What hurts is when they actually pull the bone marrow out. That's what you feel. And in order to extract it from your hip bone, they have to do it two long draws. They can't draw it out all at once. And I've got to say that was excruciatingly painful. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, enough detail about that. Yeah. But but that again that was uh, you know again we go September October November we're three into uh, three three months into it month of November I, we get the definitive lag work back from the bone marrow biopsy and I'm diagnosed with multiple myeloma. So when you got <clears throat> when you had the chest X-rays done, that's when they first saw the lesions. That's right. And then, but then the bone biopsy gave them complete proof positive that that's, you had it. That's the only way they can actually confirm that that is what's causing those lesions. One thing I remember being a little confused about at the time is the difference between a lesion and a tumor, because you, you're used to cancer just being in tumors and lesions being like a skin thing, but uh, this is different. Yeah, from what I understand, and again, I'm not the definitive word, I will tell the listeners in terms of how I've chosen to manage this project, I want to be informed and I go online, but there's a lot of outdated old information on the internet about multiple myeloma. And if you go and you Google multiple myeloma, one of the first things you see is your life expectancy is three to five years. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful. I had to be careful to, so I didn't really freak myself out thinking, okay, I've got three years to live. Right. I was careful about about the information I took in. Back to your question about a, a lesion. A lesion is just the early stages of a formation of a tumor, as I understand it. I kind of I kind of imagine it as like a rotten spot, as opposed to like a, a lump, which is more tumory. Right. The interesting thing about multiple myeloma and these tumors is they form from the inside of the bone yeah, out. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's yeah. horrible. And so so one of the complaints and one of the things that I've noticed with this uh, with this disease is you do have aches in your bones, kind of in the inside of your bones. I, I'm very fortunate. I was very fortunate up to that point. I really hadn't had a lot of that aching. Mm. 
Okay, so you get the 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 final bone biopsy or the, uh, the final proof positive that you have it. Do you feel like you accepted it a lot on the first uh, when when they first saw the lesions, or was they getting that bone biopsy really another big step for you in accepting it? Well, really, there were two things between the November and December that that happened. Number one, it was that bone marrow biopsy, getting the confirmation of that. That happened in November. Two weeks after I was confirmed that I had multiple myeloma, as you recall, and this happened just two weeks after, so it was the first week of December, I was getting out of bed Saturday morning, and I heard two things pop in my back. And I was just from uh, scooting off the edge of the bed, I fell belly down on the floor, and my... I certainly didn't know what had happened. I knew something bad had happened. And I was incapacitated for six hours. I was not able to move. And we ended up somehow turning me over and getting me into the back of a car, which it was a very, very bad idea because I was in excruciating pain. I went down to another hospital closer to our house and was admitted into the ER room. I don't know if you were there that night or not. I was, yeah. Uh, what turned into the night. And um, again, they did an MRI and they confirmed that what had happened is my L3 vertebrae had completely collapsed. And so it was impinging the nerve. What they did was they gave me um, morphine, and in an ER room, their goal is to get you up and walking so you can walk out of the hospital. I was able to shovel myself off to the car. I laid down in the back of the car, and I was in still in agonizing pain. Right. What happened from there, a few days after that, you know, I was trying to play the tough guy. Yeah. Again, not a good idea. I couldn't get out of bed, and that's when Marilyn said enough is enough. Let's call the paramedics. We called the paramedics. We called my uh, oncologist. In the meanwhile, we had been we had been dialoguing, and they got me admitted to the hospital at UCSD to work with me on my pain management right. because I couldn't function. And so it really was a two-month period of time. I was in the hospital. This is in January. In January, I ended up in the hospital uh, so I was in a lot of pain during the month of December. Nothing moves fast on this. Right. So uh, kind of go back to your question, when did the reality hit? The reality hit for me, it was really in a two-week period of time from the end of November to the middle of December where I was confirmed I had multiple myeloma. Mm -hmm. I was assured that it was a, a, a cancer that you could live with. And two weeks later, I was incapacitated. I was in a wheelchair. I couldn't. I couldn't. It was very, very difficult to move. We all had major whiplash on that because it was big news, you know, hearing that you had cancer. But it was like, well, he doesn't seem like he has cancer. Like there was no outward. The only outward signs of anything was your injuries from the fall. Right. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah, two weeks later, it's like a completely different world for you and everybody around. That's right. And really, before I was diagnosed uh, during the month of October, well, once I was, once my hand started to heal, you know, I was doing a lot of hiking, Iron Mountain. It's a seven, seven mile round trip height, vertical gain a thousand feet. I mean, it's a pretty aggressive hike. Right. Yeah. Mom was real happy that uh, <laughs> you were out there. <laughs> <laughs> And so I realized I had the tiger by the tail. I had something that I was going to really have to contend with. And again, I, I, I've got to say that that happened in December. And then when we forward to the month of January, now what, what month are we in? Are we in the fifth month now? Um, September, October, November, December, January is five. Yeah. So in the fifth month, I'm hospitalized. And as you recall, I was in the hospital for nearly two weeks. Yep. 
they really were trying to help me manage my pain. And I've got to tell you, the folks at UCSD and the palliative care group were awesome. I was just beginning to discover what kind of regimen that I was going to be taking for the cancer. And the main focus then quickly moves to how you can manage the pain before we can even help you. Mm -hmm. It gave me a whole new empathy for people that have illnesses, certainly much worse than what I've got. Right. It, and I'm not doing this to, not for a minute, to suggest that this is the worst thing that can happen to someone. There are a lot of other people that suffer a lot more than I ever have suffered and never will suffer. But when something radical happens, at least for me, it really helped me start viewing people in a different way. Yeah. And it was really at that point between November and really December and then moving into January where I thought, okay, this is my new reality because I didn't know if I was going to be walking again anytime soon. Right. I thought, if this is my new reality, how am I going to handle it? And that's when I thought I can obsess, I can obsess, I can obsess, or I can manage it like a pro project take on a new project. I love working on my computer. You know, I love, uh, you know, I, I wish I was a designer in a lot of ways. I love looking at new apps. There were, uh, you know, there were things to read. There were new apps to explore. There were new aspects of our business to consider at FMG Suite. So there was a lot of things that I could do yeah. uh, to channel my energy while I was going through this. Well, and it kind of brings up the idea of, you know, how is cancer, how is going through cancer like starting a company? Well, they're different in a lot of ways, yeah. but in one way they're, they're, they're the same is that right at the beginning, they both seem way too big to handle. And I think, you know, the way that you've built your companies has been to divide and conquer and to chunk and to, to handle the parts that you can handle and, and all of that. And I think I've, as I've seen you kind of turn that around uh, and apply it to your current situation, you look at, I mean, the diagnosis of an uncurable cancer is a lot of people's worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like if you're joking around about the worst case scenario, that's, oh, well, I hope I don't get incurable cancer. So when that actually does show up, that does almost seem like too much to handle. And I like the idea of treating it as a project because the whole point of project management is taking something that's too big to handle and dividing it into something that you can handle. Well, that's right. And, and I think that's a really good point because as you kind of take the elements and start to really take them down to little bite-sized pieces, the first thing that I had to do was get my pain under control. Right. And I worked with the I worked with the palliative care to do that. The next thing I had to do was figure out with with the docs how if they could repair my L3 vertebrae and if so, who would do it? And so that moves us to month number six, moving into February. Right. We were just so fortunate to be introduced to an orthopedic surgery group out of UCSD that specializes in serious spine injuries and has pioneered ways to help repair vertebrae. And I ended up getting a procedure done on my L3 called kyphoplasty. And kyphoplasty, again, I use the analogy, not the corkscrew analogy, but the, the fountain pen refill. What they do is they actually insert, they insert two rods into the collapsed vertebrae and they then insert a balloon. The balloon blows the vertebrae up and through there they pull the balloon out. The vertebrae has, in essence, has been inflated and they inject a cement that hardens very, very quickly. Now, as, as many of you know, I definitely am a fan faith-based person. And right from the beginning, I really felt like I've been in the Lord's hands and been guided on this. The physician that did this kyphoplasty procedure, when he went in and looked, 
at my vertebrae, he said it was just destroyed. Yeah. And he just about closed me up and, and thought, we're just going to have to go in and, and uh, put some rods and screw them together. And then he said he had an idea to go in and layer in the cement, let it dry, layer it again, and build my vertebrae back up. And he was able to do that, and it restored about 80%, 85% of my vertebrae, so I really haven't had any problems. People say, well, how quickly after the collapse and after the kyphoplasty were you up walking around? Really quickly. Yeah, like <laughs> the next day. Yeah. I remember being floored about how well that worked. I could not believe it. And they didn't even say it. When you got out, they had some percentage that they said, they're like, oh, it was only like a 30% successful surgery. And I remember thinking like, oh, they're just saying that because they don't want to say 0%. Right. Like, and then it turned out to be quite the opposite way. So. Right. So again, my hat off to uh, to the docs at uh, UCSD. And and really, in many ways, from my looking at it, you know, performed a miracle and got me back on my feet. Mm-hmm. which then <laughs> pushes us ahead to what month number uh, seven. Se- seven yeah which would be february which would be march yep well in march i started i will say in february i also had some radiation were you supposed to start the radiation earlier and then you didn't because of the the vertebrae or something did that interrupt the they treatment? actually they actually did not want to do any radiation on me because i'm i'm kind of getting to to where there's really great hope with this um, this cancer multiple myeloma and performing stem cell transplants and we'll get to that in just in just a month or two but during the month of march i started an oral chemo regimen of Revlimid. I took a steroid and then I took a, I had an injection at the infusion center every week and, and that was Velcade. So it is, it's Dex, Velcade, and Rev, Revlimid. It's, it's the most widely accepted regimen that lowers the protein levels and gets your blood, your blood chemistry back in check. And I actually have had now four of those regimens. A regimen lasts uh, 21 days. You go 21 days, you're off a week, and then you go another 21 days. So your first one was back in January or February? Let's see, January, February, March, April. Yeah, it was. It, it started. They started me actually towards the end of December. Okay. Okay. But I was. I had all these other things that I was focusing on. So I really hadn't been focusing on the regimen and what the regimen was leading me to. The hope for multiple myeloma patients, which now moves us to the month of April. The hope for multiple myeloma patients is to receive a stem cell transplant. The stem cells in your bone marrow are what create your red and your white blood cells along with platelets. We were investigating the stem cell transplant, and I will pause and just say it was during, and I can't swear to it, but it was during the month of probably March where we actually went up to the City of Hope, which is just outside of Los Angeles, and they have a very, very large cancer clinic up there. I mean, that's what they really do specialize in, and they have a large group, a department that specializes in multiple myeloma. We talked to the director of their multiple myeloma division. We confirmed that this is exactly what they would do up in LA. We were also introduced to the director of the multiple myeloma clinic that works out of Harvard. Uh, there's this a brilliant woman that is pioneering a lot in uh, multiple myeloma and procedures. And she confirmed that based upon my conditions, this was the right thing to do. In fact, we were ready, as you know, and as we talked about the family, we were ready, as we talked to the family about, about my condition, we initially 
initially said, we don't know if we'll have to move somewhere like, like Boston or like Los Angeles to get the best care. So while I say I'm guarded about what I read, I've tried not to be foolish at all about doing my research and talking to the smartest, the brightest, the best medical help out there to really make sure I'm following the right procedures. Yeah, no, I know that uh, I was thinking of that as you've been going through this, that the decisions on which doctors to uh, partner with and how to judge information you're getting has been a big question for you. And I, I thought it was interesting that you and mom are both very educated people. You've been through a lot of things in your life and you both felt very, at times, very frustrated and confused when it came to some of these questions. It was hard to get the right answer or maybe know that you got the right answer right up front. How? But I don't feel that about the situation anymore. I feel like that you've got into a place where you're very comfortable with the people you're working with. What was the key to you finding the right doctors? Well, again, hopping back to managing a multiple myeloma like a project, I mean, it gets frustrating when you take on a new project and you're looking for resources. For me, in, in growing businesses, it was you know creating content. It was printing in the early days at Emerald. It was technology and the FMG suite days you know, because we're a digital marketing firm. And what I have always done in business, what I've always done in managing my projects, you know, I love woodworking. Uh, what I've done in, in managing my woodworking projects Projects. When I get stuck, when I get stymied, when when I'm not sure how to how to move ahead, what I do is I try to reach out to the people that are a lot smarter than I am. In fact, just as as we're talking, one of my good friends, Nick Bruford, who is a brilliant artisan in in terms of creating doors and cabinetry and tables, just anything that is that can be done with wood that would be beautiful and gorgeous. Nick Bruford can do that. And so for me, when I started doing woodworking to, to scratch my head and try to figure it out all by myself just seemed foolish. And Nick was nice enough to coach me along. So just a quick plug, you can see some of Craig's woodworking uh, on YouTube at Woodworking with Craig. <laughs> okay. It's a good little video series. Yeah, that's right. I, I actually forgotten we put those up. But with the cancer as a project, really, Marilyn and I decided that that we were going to have to work together. And Marilyn became the best advocate you know anyone could have. And we decided that we'd drill hard, we'd drill deep. And Marilyn did that for me because I knew, I knew myself. I knew that if I was pushing too hard and drilling too hard and questioning questioning, questioning, that I would become obsessive about it, and I didn't want that to happen. Worry is not good in project management, whether it's starting a new business, dealing with health, dealing with a a relationship or repairing a relationship, and treating it as a project. Worry is your enemy. And so you have to figure out what works. I had to figure out what would work for me to control that my tendency to worry and obsess over and over again. And getting an advocate to reach out and really doing that during the months of March and April made all the difference. Yeah, that's great. I think that's uh, I think that's a big issue that people are going to be dealing with. So that takes us all the way kind of up to stem cell. Uh, yeah, yeah. Therapy. So so we decided right now at this broadcast, it, it actually is really the end of the nine-month period. It's yeah. uh, it's May the 24th. So, or excuse me, it's May the 23rd. Tomorrow's the 24th. And today, what I had is we decided back in April, we were definitely going to move ahead with the stem cell transplant. A part of that transplant is a very, very potent injection of chemo that I had not been receiving. I'd been receiving very, very 
mellow doses of chemo. The Revlimid and then the oral, excuse me, the, the Revlimid is the oral, the Velcade is, uh, is an injection. Melphalin is what they've been using. It's a very, very strong, it's as strong a chemo as they will give you from what I understand. And again, please understand, I'm not trying to hold myself out as a definitive expert on this, but just to give you my observation. What they do is they give you a, a, a dose of melphalin, rewind, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, actually, a week ago, before you get the dose of chemo, they harvest your stem cells. Right. And how could I forget that? <laughs> no, it's one of the coolest parts. They give you uh, some drug that uh, increases the production of stem cells, yeah, right? They give, they give you, first of all, a drug that produces, uh, that increases the production, and then they get, give you a drug that pushes it out, out into your bloodstream. I had a catheter implanted in my chest. This was about a week and a half ago. I went into the Morris Cancer Center at UCSD. I was hooked up to a machine. They drew my blood. They cycled my blood out of my body three times over a four to five hour period of time and they harvested over nine million stem cells. Wow. Well, nine million stem cells, what their goal was is to get at least a million and a half to two million the first day because what they want for a stem cell transplant is four million yeah. stem cells. And you got nine million? Nine million the first day. The first day. So what you're saying is you're awesome at stem cells. I can do stem cell production really, really good. <laughs> so I went back in the second day. We harvested another a three plus or minus million. I have 12 million stem cells. Now, why did they want to harvest so many stem cells? They freeze dry. Uh, and it's not freeze dried. I know. I was like, that <laughs> no, sounds it's delicious. It's not freeze dried, <laughs> uh, but they, 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 they freeze the stem they cells. They freeze, deep freeze the stem cells. And uh, they, those stem cells will, in essence, keep indefinitely. So yeah. when I go into the, for the stem cell transplant, they will take three to four million of those stem cells and I'll have enough for another potentially two stem cell transplants. Yeah, that's great. Here's what has happened today. So last week, last week and a half, is this making sense? It's all making and sense. I, I hope, audience, I hope it. I hope you're following me. But so I got my stem cells harvested. They have found there. there's two types of stem cell transplants. One where they harvest your own stem cells and give them back to you. That's very safe, a very, very low risk procedure. No more, they, they, they tell me that it's no more hazardous than giving birth, which looks really hazardous, hazardous <laughs> yeah. to me, um, having seen that mom go through that five times. So it's been very successful, very safe. The, the other type of st stem cell transplant is where they get a match of someone else's stem cells, ideally a brother or a sister. They harvest them from a brother or sister, but the mortality rate goes up anywhere from 10 to 15%. It's 10 to 15%, whereas it's only one percent oh, wow. uh, using your own stem cells. Using someone else's stem cells is a little more effective, much higher risk. We chose to use my own stem cells. Gotcha. Oh, it's more effective to use someone else's. It is. Oh. But it's a higher risk. Mm -hmm. The mortality rate is much higher. Yeah. 15 out of 100 seems like a lot more than one out of 100. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're going through with it. Yeah. Uh, if you're just listening, you may think, well, I'd take the chance. They're I can tell numbers. you, you, you won't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think you'll take the chance. So they harvested my stem cells. And the concept then is they actually today gave me this very potent injection of chemo, melphalan. 
it will kill my white blood cells, it will kill my red blood cells, it will kill my platelets, and I will not have an immune system. I'm checking in, and it, it takes about, oh, 24 to 48 hours for a taxi kick in. I will check into the hospital in an isolation ward. Tomorrow. Tomorrow at Jacobs Hospital. It's a beautiful medical center. Mr. Jacobs, who founded Qualcomm, uh, donated, uh, I believe it was $100 million. It's, yeah, uh, it's very impressive. It's a very, very impressive facility. And it will be then within the next 24 hours that they will re-inject the stem cells into my blood. And they actually take them out of this deep freeze. They put them in warm water and my, that's roughly my body temperature, and they reinfuse them into my blood. Those stem cells find their way back into the bone marrow and then begin to produce healthy red and white blood cells and platelets. What they haven't figured out how to do is not ensure how to how to ensure that other mutant multiple myeloma cells, white blood white white cells get produced over a period of time. Right. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to push me into a deep remission while I go for an extended period of time without the myeloma cells in my blood. That's the whole goal. So wow. that starts tomorrow. <laughs> you, so th- this is kind of an interesting time right this second because you've had the treatment that is going to make you feel very ill. Right. But at the moment, uh, how do you feel? I, at the moment, I, I just have a, a little upset stomach. I'll, I'm a little flush, but I don't. But I feel pretty good. It's uh, typically how I feel when I'm at work. <laughs> not, and since not this really. is audio, you can't see, but uh, uh, Craig has a beautiful head of hair right now. You wouldn't guess that there was anything wrong, um, but uh, you are a bald man. Man walking. I am a bald man walking. In fact, one of the one of the biggest parts of this journey and this project is deciding uh, if and when and how I'm going to uh, shave my hair. Yeah, being a guy and a man, man age 64 and still having a full head of hair, no bald spots. You know, I will say I I, I do have some vanity there, and I'm just going to have to suck it up because within the next seven to ten days, it's 90 percent likely that I will lose 90% of my hair. And so I've got a wonderful uh, son-in-law who cuts his own hair, uh, Brian, and he is chomping at the bit to uh, uh, give me a buzz and then bick me. (laughs) (laughs) So you're going um, into the hospital tomorrow. You'll be in there for two weeks? Yeah, they say two, two and a half weeks. And then what happens, what I have to be very, very careful of is my immune system. I don't, in essence, I don't have an immune system. And so I'll be in lockdown here at the house. I won't be able to have the grandkids over. I won't be able because they're Petri dishes. They're just little snot machines. <laughs> and uh, I won't be able to be in crowds, but I'll be able to, you know, I'll be able to entertain a guest or two uh, as long as they don't have a cold, a, sto- a sore throat, a fever, something like that. And I can see people, interestingly enough, I can see people in the hospital. So all is not lost. The question that people ask me the most is, okay, so you're doing the stem cell transplant. How long will that last? And you can imagine, Kirk, that I've asked uh, uh, my doc uh, a number of times, and he very tactfully, very wisely says it varies from person to person. It can last two or three years. Some people, it's lasted five or seven. Some are pushing into remission past 10 years. Wow. Understanding that I have additional stem cells. So hope's, hope with me springs eternal uh, with this disease. It's three to five years, two, two, three, five years. That's the bottom of it. It's, it's not like it, it's not like 
like there's something where it doesn't take. Or... Um, certainly not that I have been focused on. <laughs> not that they tell you in, no. the, in the store. No, and again, I, 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 want, I want our listening group to know I don't take this lightly at all. I mean, for those of you that know my background, know that my mom died when I was a senior in high school. She, she had breast cancer. I mean, I, I'm not new to cancer, and I understand how serious it is. But again, I hope going through this, number one, has enlightened people because this is a pretty rare, there's only about 100, 120,000 people in the United States diagnosed with this cancer a year. And it's an easy type of cancer to misdiagnose. Yeah. Well, no, I think I think hearing your story for anybody who's going through what you're going through, I think is going to be incredibly valuable. Just even even just to hear what it's like, and you know, hear the the different points and and what's hard and what's what's hopeful, and I think that's going to be great. Sure. And so what I'd like to do is I've I've now talked about the last nine months, and I now want to talk about the next ninety days, and that will take us full circle. My first year dealing with cancer, multiple myeloma as a new project. Right. And so over the next 90 days, you're going to have some spare time because you can't go into work and uh, you can't hang out with your grandkids. Right. And there's only so much Netflix you can watch. That's right. And so I, I you know, I, it's your idea, but I, I'm really excited for you to be uh, updating us and, and making more of these episodes. And, and I, I think it'd probably be all right to invite any listeners who come across this to, to reach out through your website. Absolutely. Um, you can contact Craig at craigjfalkner.com. Uh, all the contact will be there and you can find all the other episodes of, uh, of this podcast, also his other podcast, uh, Find Your Marketing Mojo, and also a lot of other great stuff. Cruising with Craig, his uh, motorcycle diary, uh, <laughs> woodworking with Craig, a lot of things with Craig on that site. So That's right. And to those of you that, that, that are suffering with, with uh, uh, problems and illnesses that certainly surpass mine, uh, Godspeed to you and I wish you uh, best of success. All right. Is there anything we didn't uh, cover? We good? I think we, I think we got it. All right. That was great. uh, Thanks so much. And uh, until next time. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye.